Welcome to Mandarin Baptist Church, where we are the generations declaring the redemptive story of God on Everyday Mission. Thank you so much for setting aside time to join us as we open Scripture together. Whether this is your first time joining us or if you listen in weekly, we want you to know that we are so thankful you are here. We believe God has something for each of us today. We know God is always working and speaking, and our prayer is that this message will minister to your heart as much as it has with us. Before we get started, there are a couple things for you to know. First of all, we would love to connect with you on a deeper level and even help you take your next step of faith, whatever that might be. A great first step is joining us on campus for one of our worship gatherings on Sundays at 8.30 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. We would also love to help you get connected to one of our small groups. Regardless of what life stage we are in, we strongly believe that we were not created to go through this life alone. We need people to come alongside of us and to help point each other toward Christ and encourage a deeper pursuit of God in our lives. For more information or questions you might have, please check us out online at mandarinbaptist.org. On our website, you will find groups for every age, as well as dates for events like Discover Mandarin, which is a great way to learn a little bit more about who we are, different ministries we are involved in, and local and global missions partners. You can like, follow, and join a live stream of our Sunday services at facebook.com slash Mandarin Baptist Church. So now, as we dive into scripture today and we hear the truths of God, we pray our lives are shaped by what His Spirit will speak to us. We hope His words will be written upon our hearts and we will move toward Christ as we check out this week's message. worship and here's what I would pray over you. I'm just reading a bit of Ephesians 1 and 2. Um, I started reading it while we were singing um, and I couldn't figure out where to stop. And so just I'm going to read for a while. So I'm praying, this is chapter 1 verse 17, not 1 Corinthians, I'll get there. But I'm praying that the Lord of our, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. In other words, I'm praying that you will have this spiritual uprising in your soul through the wisdom that you have pursued in Jesus, but also just from the revelation that comes from him, that it will rise up within you. So welcome to a beautiful Savior. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you can know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength, which happened to resurrect Jesus from the dead and has resurrected you, if you're a follower of his, from the dead as well. Oh, what a savior. Glory to God. And so chapter 2 of Ephesians just said, and by the way, if you weren't clear the magnitude of the resurrection of Jesus, here's where you should land. We're not dealing with small things here. You were dead in your trespasses and in your sins in which you formerly lived. 
according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air. This is where you lived, but God. Woo, I love these two words. Who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he has for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. So uh, can I just read that one more time? But God, who is rich in mercy because of his extraordinary love that he has for us, made each of us in this room, if we have received Jesus as rescuer and redeemer, he has made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You're saved by grace. And in doing so, he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you and I are saved by grace through faith. It's a gift. It's not from ourselves. It's God's gift. It's not from works so that no one could boast for we are God's poetry. When he was feeling extraordinarily creative one day, he formed you before the foundation of the world and then knitted you together in your mother's wombs, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared for us ahead of time so that we might walk in the midst of him. Oh, what a savior. So I just want to maybe mention again that we work in the already finished work of Jesus Christ. You're lesser excited about this than me, but we'll maybe get there together. Like we're just, we're people who are like in this room right now together with and for and by the sake of the gospel. We're just moving and living in the midst of this. And so um, my wife wrote me a note midweek this week and uh, said something to me that really kind of captured my heart. And then I've been super humbled by it as I've pondered it. Um, She wrote just a quick note. Um, Jim Redmond died today and sent me a video with that. Um, the chances of you being aware of who Jim Redmond is is pretty small. Um, But this is maybe where I'll start with Jim Redmond. Um, The chances of any one of us uh, reflecting on the 1992 Olympics in Atlanta, like Cam, that's not even happening for you. There is no reflection. I had this epiphany as I was preparing to share this story that as I shared this story, I had no kids yet. Not one of five had been born in 1992. That's just weird, and it makes me old. But in 1992, in the Atlanta Olympics, Jim Redmond represented his nation, Great Britain, and in the 400 meter, not only in the, uh, in the team relay, but also uh, he anchored the team relay, but he was the predominant 400 meter racer, and uh, Derek Redmond was um, thought to be the gold medal winner. And so there was this visceral moment that happened in Olympic history again. None of us, if you do, I don't know what reward I have for you, but you win the reward for who came in first place in the 400-meter semifinal relay in 1992 Olympics. That, you don't get to look it up on your phone. That's utterly cheating. So, um, but if, if you were a part of this or have even been a part of the running community, which I love being a part of, you've heard of uh, several people like Rick and Dick Hoyt and Jim and Derek Redmond are in that category of just iconic people, and Jim and Derek are because of this particular moment. And so when um, Jim passed away this week, uh, some videos came out. I thought I would introduce you to him and then talk a little bit about what it looks like to be together for the gospel. So the young guy getting ready to run is Derek, Great Britain, 400-meter semifinals. He didn't win. 
but he won our hearts. The guy that you'll see trot on with him is, is Jim, his dad. So flashback, or maybe for some of you who weren't here yet, wow, 1992 Olympics, semifinals. Would you meet Jim and Derek Redmond, and let's talk about them. So that's a good cutoff moment. In, in, their, in their country, in Great Britain, there's just some heritage. And I even like the caption, he pressed on to the finish of the race. In Great Britain, um, kind of the heritage of their run community is um, you finish the race no matter what. Even if your teammates come and carry you across the line, you finish the race. We're kind of in the heart of this together for the gospel. We're kind of hard at this looking at one another and saying, I want to be in this with you. And we work in the already finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. We have a race. Paul will end chapter 9 saying we have a race that is set before us. There are many that run this race. Only one receives the prize. Run in such a way as to receive the prize. What's, what's beautiful, there's about three or four things that I just would share about their story that I think is amazing. amazing. There is a goal. There is a finish line. There is intent. Um, things do not in our race always go as planned. And sometimes our race leaves us, if you were here last weekend, I quoted from a book called Leading with the Limp. Sometimes our race leads us into a very, um, very uh, significant posture of just limping for the sake of the cross, but we're going to limp with passion and perseverance saying, Lord, would you just allow me to run this race and finish this course um, here's what's beautiful for us, uh, a part of the scripture I didn't read. Colossians, as I was kind of just sitting and worshiping with our band this morning, says that we're, um, we're hidden with Christ in God the Father. And then we have the spirit uprising within us. And so while we got to meet Jim Redmond, he's a good guy. I just, I love, I love that Jen Redmond just came down. I don't know in 2022 if you can get out of the stands at the Olympics and get onto the track. And I don't even know how you could do it then. But here's what I would just share with you, that, that you have a heavenly father and you're infused interior life with the spirit of Christ. And you are living hidden with Christ in the father who is running the race with you. We are together in this gospel. You don't limp alone. And what's even more beautiful is that you look around you and you have others who are hidden with Christ and God saying, let's run this together. Because we have a tradition in our faith community that we finish the race. We have a tradition as a people of God that we press on toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's just who we are. So if, if I look around the room and I see some of my friends that are kind of limping or struggling, instead of looking at them and casting disparaging thoughts about them, I'm going to come alongside them, put my arm around them and say, can we run again? Or I will limp and hobble with you. One part of this video, the NBC video that I sent to Garrett, um, they wouldn't let us post it. So I guess it's like privatized or something. One of the beautiful parts of this is when dad puts his arm around him, all of the security starts to come around him and he could see him holler, I'm his dad. I just think of my heavenly father just kind of standing over us saying, we're in this with the gospel. We're in this for the gospel. And I'm his father. I'm his dad. We're going to run this together. I have, I have made him and he's fearfully and he's wonderfully made. Let's, let's go run together for the gospel. But then they keep coming up. There's like four different times that people come up to intervene. And all the dad does is push them away. 
moves away distraction. I believe that's what our Heavenly Father does for us, but I also believe that's what we do for and with one another because we are an ultimately distracted world. And so I would, I would love, just, that's Jim and Derek Redmond. I'm glad you could meet him. Jim is in heaven now. He's doing well. And I'm really thankful for a moment. I've had two or three little running moments. One of them, yeah, I'm, yeah, and it, it, yeah. It, one of the running moments, I've just got to get out. No, I won't. It's, it's a gross story. Let's just say it this way. This guy persevered through the worst stomach angst that I've ever seen. And it was so impressive. And I tried to show it in church one time to a youth group to say, do you get it? And pretty much they were just throwing up and thinking that's disgusting. I thought, this is perseverance. This is what it means to run the race. And we're in this together. And I think almost I hear Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, 12, kind of speaking into this moment and saying, no, are we not free? Are we not called? Do we not remain in this? Do we not persevere? And then he talks about how he's just kind of, if you were here last weekend, humbling, pressing down his rights. And he lands in verse 12 and saying, nevertheless, we endure everything so that we as a people together do not hinder the gospel of Christ. So we're in this and we're like running together and we've got friends that are around us. We've got the spirit inside of us. We've got the father over us. We have friends around us and we are pressing away distractions and pressing on toward the finish line. That would be a beautiful perspective of what I think Paul is saying for us as the church. And we get to do this together. I want to maybe begin where I ended last week. Like the crux of the Nehemiah story is that we get to do this together. The crux of the Nehemiah story is this, that apart from the work of Jesus, what we long to accomplish is not possible. So we just come along saying, let's keep pointing each other toward Christ. This is our story. If you were here last week, it was a miracle that the people of Israel in, the, in, in Nehemiah's note to us completed a wall and they did it in 52 days. And if you, if you heard all of this um, from last weekend, you're kind of familiar at this point. Like this was crazy that they could complete that work. But then what really was meaningful is they began to look at each other and say, I'm right beside you. I'm right beside you. I'm coming. This is really important for all of us right now. I'm going to come out of the stands and I'm going to be right beside you. I need to get into this movement. I need to move forward for the sake of the gospel. And so I am with you. I am with you. And over and over throughout Nehemiah 3, it kept talking about who was together with him. And then it's not nearly as surprising that they could finish it in 52 days when arms were locked together as the people after God's heart. And they just began to say, we're in this. Let's do this. Let's pursue this. What really moved me, and then I'll move on. Here's what's so beautiful about a gospel-saturated people. It says this of the nations and the people around them. This is directly quoting Nehemiah. They lost confidence in their own strength. Now, here's here's what's so cool. But they gained confidence in the goodness of God. So looking at people who did not know the Lord and they looked at the people of Israel and said, we've lost confidence in our strength based on what you've just done together. And we've gained confidence. And maybe, maybe at least we're going to start asking questions about this Yahweh, this God Almighty. We're, we're going to wrestle this out. And so I, I just want to plant this seed again. It's God's design to use humble servants to usher in 
his glory. And so we're together in this story. The second thing that really struck me out of 1 Corinthians 9 is not only that we're in this story and we're in this together and we're running this race and we're pressing to the finish, but we're stewards of this gospel. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16 and 17, for, for I preach, or, or said differently, I live the gospel, um, said differently, I herald the gospel, I have no reason to boast because I am compelled to preach, and, and I love it, it gets like an Old Testament prophet right here. But woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. I do this willingly, and I have a great reward. This is just kind of where he's saying. So coming back, if, you, if you've been here for a little bit, uh, a couple of chapters back, we, we talked about this truth and this hope that we remain in our calling. And he's kind of saying, I am so compelled because I am called by God to be who I am among these people. And so therefore, I have this stewardship. I have this calling and it's my role to finish the race and to finish what God has for me. And I would just look at you and say, we're entrusted as stewards of the gospel with a calling. We're entrusted. He says, I have this reward. We're entrusted with this treasure of the gospel. This is it. And so I like Paul because he's like saying, I could do some things and gain some things from you. And absolutely rightfully so, it would be okay. But I am going to suppress them so that I might have freedom to share the gospel with you. I have no ulterior motives except to talk to you about the freedom in Jesus. Isn't that awesome? If we could have just such relationships with people around us to just say to them, like, we're together with some people that are running this race and we're stewarding this and we have no ulterior motives with, with my neighbor, with, with my coworker, with my friends, with my run community. I have no ulterior motive except I long to present Jesus to you. Because he's, he's life-altering for me. I think the world operates out of purchase. This is where Paul's kind of saying all around this verse, be purchasing, paying, earning. And this is um, where Paul really is getting lost in the church at Corinth and entitlement. Like you, you think in some way you're entitled to something and I really want to come to you and say, um, apart from the gospel and the hope of Jesus Christ, you're bankrupt. You're dead, but Christ who has made you alive. The, the gospel, on the other hand, thrives on need, sacrifice, serving, rescue, paying, earning, and entitlement. That's not earning it. Freedom, forgiveness, hope, and future. It's, it's almost like Paul is in this Old Testament moment of saying, Church at Corinth, this is the first letter in the canon. It's the second actual letter. You keep ignoring me. He actually has four letters to the church at Corinth. Two of them made the canon of Scripture. And he's the one, you're, you're frustrating to me and almost like Old Testament prophetic, but I want to just stay in the game with you. I'm going to come along as your heavenly dad. I'm going to swat some distractions away and point you back toward the ultimate hope of the gospel. It's like he says, woe to me. I'm going to stay in my calling. And, and almost every 
commentary around this compares this to Jeremiah 20, verse 9, which is an amazing verse. In fact, you can just hold it on the screen for a while. It's just an amazing verse. Jeremiah has been promised. So, so um, some things that are true of us are true of Jeremiah. Um, the Lord told him he knew him before the foundation of the world. He told him that he was going to work through him. He told him that he was going to speak through him. He told him that he would have a lifetime of endurance, and he would speak into the blindness of Israel. And then here's some things that um, maybe have knocked us off track or compel us away from the run because he said, also, by the way, it's going to be exhausting. What you're going to be about and proclaim, it's going to be exhausting. So here's what the Lord promised him um, out the gate. Jeremiah, you're going to proclaim the goodness of God for all of your days. Now listen in on this. And no one will listen to you. So Paul, you're going to kind of step into Corinth and you're going to scatter seeds and you're going to have to trust my spirit on some things because they may or may not listen to you in the moment. But I just I didn't call you in for the fruit that I produce. I called you in for the steadfastness that you have for me. And so in, in Jeremiah, it gets into this moment that's really beautiful. So he's known, promised obstacles, exhausted. He kind of reaches this, do I really need this moment? Which probably some of us are in, in our current culture. And, and here's where he landed in verse 29. I won't mention him or speak any longer of his name. I find this to be one of the greatest passages of Scripture for those of us that long to weigh in on our calling, to remain in it. Because he's looking at, at, at everyone and going, I can't speak his name anymore. And then there's a period, and then here he goes. So I am exhausted. I'm wearied. I've been praying for this person for 32 years, and I see nothing. God, help. I've been living in this viral stage for the last three years. I'm utterly and completely exhausted. I don't know how to work my way through that. God, help. Help me in the midst of this. And he's going like, woe to me. I, I don't think I can speak any longer. And then here's where he goes. But his message has become a fire that is burning in my heart. And it's shut up in my bones. I love it. So a sentence ago, I can't say another word. I cannot hold this in and I cannot help but to prevail. I long to be in the middle of this. I would imagine that there are some of us in this room that are exhausted. Our last few years for the vast majority in this room have been utterly exhausting and woe to us. But... I have a gospel in the middle of this. I, I love this about Esther, and I love this about us. I don't think the Lord was haphazard in placing his body of Christ in the exact time, in the exact moment for such a time as this. And so if you're sitting in the room going, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm in love with him, he's not taken off guard by when he planted you on this earth. That just brought liberty to my soul. So maybe my sermon was for me. He is not caught off guard by when he planted you and where he planted you on this earth. Whew. Thank you, Lord. So then we walk out and say, Lord, how do I steward this? There's some things shut up in my bones, and I long to speak of this. And I wonder if we wonder why things are so hard when the Scripture says that I have put you on this earth to take on authorities and dominions and strongholds, why we're taken aback when it's a bit difficult. 
So if we're stewarding this gospel, it's going to be a bit difficult. And so I think he just wants to maybe come with us and say this. So I knew you before the foundation of the world. I knitted you together in your mother's womb. I purposed you. I have set your days apart. I have adopted you into the family. I have brought you into the wholeness of who we are. And I long for you to just know that that's just like a millimeter of who I am and what I've been to and for you. And so can we move forward and steward this gospel extraordinarily well? I have, I have brought you into citizenship in heaven for heaven's sake i read that in ephesians 2 we're like right now all of us in jesus are seated in heaven right now we're we're looking onto this earth as people who are seated in heaven according to scripture this is this is absolutely stunning and so god how do we steward this really well and i think i think uh i this is a part that's so undeveloped by me. And so I'm just going to ask forgiveness and ask for grace and tell you I want to think about this some more. But I just want to like throw some thoughts that are coming my way. I was listening to Lisa Bevere this week and she was just talking about some of these issues and it really, um, it really just struck my soul. Like, why are we confused that people are confused? Are we surprised by that? Are we surprised by the struggles that we are in the midst of? Are we surprised? So can we just venture back to, the, to Corinth and, and just recognize that what we're in the midst of in our cultural context right now, there's nothing new. This was happening in the middle of the church of Corinth. There was, there was confusion. There was sexual confusion. There was loyalties. There were divided loyalties. There were struggles. I, I, there, everything that's running around us was running around then. And Paul's just kind of looking and going, so I've given you this togetherness and I've given you this gospel. And now I'm asking you to go out in the midst of the world and proclaim it. And then Lisa Bavera was saying some things like this in the middle of our cultural context. She was like, look, I, I long for the body of Christ to stop acting like we're mystified by the culture around us. They're far from the Lord. They're dead in their sins and trespasses. So the body of Christ is a people who are living out and fleshing out the goodness of Jesus in the midst of the world. And perhaps if the body of Christ would wrestle this out, that we're citizens of heaven, but we're not home yet. And the majority of people that are around us are not home yet. So are we surprised that people are ultimately confused? And could we, as the body of Christ, stop being angry with the world and carry the compassionate love of God in Jesus Christ to the world? Could we stop being befuddled about the thousands of questions that are going on and the things that are being brought up? And could we rather then step in and say, sure, you're not home yet. You're a citizen of heaven. Can we start maybe speaking this into lives? Like God formed you and knitted you together. Maybe you don't know that. Maybe you don't know that you were known before the foundation of the world. Maybe you don't know that you were adopted. And maybe you're not going to accept that yet. But I'm just going to keep walking toward you. And I'm going to stop being angry with you because this is what you should be doing until you know him who knew you before the foundation of the world. And this would be a, such a good reality for the body of Christ. So um, I'm, I'm biking with my wife yesterday and I'm doing what I do. And so I'm, I'm complaining about a particular issue in this world, particular like thing that's running gamut and and I'm just kind of going like I don't understand this I'm frustrated by this um I don't like this I think this is stupid and um and so we're on this bike ride and a mile in Susan being extraordinarily wise um just kind of stays quiet for a bit 
And then we ride for a little longer. And this is what she asked me. So I'm curious, what are we going to do about it? And then she said, maybe just maybe we could spend a portion of our life becoming incredibly compassionate around this issue. Maybe we could become um, data-driven around the issue. Maybe we could sit down in it together and pray through the issue. And maybe God wants to use us because if it's bothering you, it may be bothering him. But I don't think your heart is right. She didn't necessarily say that, but that's what I interpreted. And I, I love that. Like, so points of places of cultural angriness for us. And believe me, this has already been preached in one service. Everybody's like, thank you. And some of the people that didn't talk to me are mad. And so, but the places where you're angry culturally, can, can we just possibly turn that to compassion and gospel hope? And maybe that's the Lord saying, so what are you going to do about it? And it's not the angry church people I'm talking about here, Okay. Like, I'm not asking you to get guns blazing into this. I'm asking you to take the grace and the wisdom and the knowledge and the comfort and the compassion and the life and the hope and the promise of Jesus right into the middle of it. This is, this is what Paul would say, or actually did say, to the church at Corinth. And so I just, I just am praying this, like, maybe, maybe, I, I will stop taking offense with the culture because I recognize they don't know the truth yet. And I will do something far more beautiful and step into the streets and out of this little haven with the gospel. And I'll serve everyone always. That's my third thought. First is that we're together in this. We steward this. How do we do that? I will wrap this up quickly. Sacrifice is the way. Paul says, I'm not in 1 Corinthians anymore, so I've got to turn back to that. In verse 19, he just pours out his soul. Although I'm free from all and not anyone's slave, I, goodness gracious, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. So have fun praying that out. So, so Paul talking in earlier in life, I, have been, I am in bondage or I'm enslaved to Jesus. So when you see chains on me, I'm chained to Christ. And so I'm also willingly connecting you to Jesus. So what I'm going to do is those who are far, I'm going, to, I'm going to be enslaved to you. I will be enchained to you so that maybe as a conduit of the hope of the gospel, I will connect the two of you and I will introduce you to my Savior. So you're not going to come enslaved. So you're, you're not even going to step in and you're going to stay ticked off unless you choose to be a bondservant to Jesus first. And then the compassionate heart will move in truth and with hope to this world with the promise of the gospel. Amen. And so, um, compassion is not bending. I, I, I'm going to just pick up and read this because my heart's full right now. The word serve means to be enslaved. The, the version that I read already used that word. The other, other versions use the word serve, and it's just not as powerful. I'm going to willingly enslave myself to you. Freedom is bound to the benefit of others, but compassion is not a bending toward the underprivileged because we are privileged 
It is not reaching out from on high to those who are less fortunate. It's not a gesture of sympathy or pity for those who can't make the upward pull. Henri Nouwen said it this way. It's on the screen. On the contrary, compassion means going directly to the people and places where suffering and lostness, I will add, is most acute and building a home there and saying here is where you can find home. I will say it differently. 1 Thessalonians 2.8. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives because you have become dear to us. God, you've called us to steward the gospel together and you have called us to serve everyone always, which is a ripoff of Bob Goff's book. I want to live the gospel among you. Katie Davis wrote this about her ministry in Uganda. She says, I want to know people by experience. I desire that I pray over everyone that I encounter. And here's what I'm praying of the Lord. Father, give me eyes to see them. Give me your eyes for this man, this woman, this child. Show me how you see each one of them. If compassion means to suffer with them, then it's not that we're lending a hand to anyone We're not called to alleviate suffering as much as we're called to enter into suffering and lump together. Welcome to church. This is the body of Christ. So I would just invite you to maybe uh, like Derek or actually Jim Redmond a bit more and begin to ask the Lord, how do I move out of the stands and onto the track and who needs me to run with them? who needs their, their, an arm around them so that we can pursue this together. And I close with scripture and pray. Here's what Paul says in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, verse 23. Come out, run the race, because I have become all things to all people, so that I may by every possible means win some. I do all of this because of the gospel. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to return and read scripture as Matt makes his way up. I want to begin where, or end where I begin, and just read this over us one more time. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you and I the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you could know the hope of his calling, so that you would walk in the wealth of his glorious inheritance and the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. And this is according to the strength that is mighty, the strength of the Lord. Thank you again for listening in to what God is doing here at Mandarin. We hope this is just the beginning to the gospel conversations we have and will share in through our weeks. We never want this to be the end of what God is doing, but just another launching pad for His glory and renown to be central in our lives and relationships. Again, we would love to help you take your next step of faith 
possibly here with us as part of our Mandarin faith family. You can visit us online at mandarinbaptist.org and facebook.com slash mandarinbaptistchurch to see what your next step of faith could be. We thank you again for joining us, and we hope to see you soon.